This is the audio lecture for Module 6. Let's jump right into it. Chapter 4, Section 1. The island of Crete was the cradle of an early civilization that later influenced Greek living on the European mainland. The people of Crete, however, had absorbed many ideas from the older civilizations of Egypt and Mesopotamia. Europa's mythic journey from Phoenicia to Crete suggests this movement of ideas from east to west. Washed by the warm waters of the Aegean Sea, Crete was home to a brilliant early civilization. We do not actually know what the people who built this civilization called themselves. However, the British archaeologist who unearthed its ruins called them Minoans after Minos, M-I-N-O-A-N-S, a legendary king of Crete. Minoan civilization reached its height, or greatest success, between 1600 BC and 1500 BC. The success of the Minoans was based on trade, not conquest. Minoan traders set up outposts throughout the Aegean world. From their island home in the eastern Mediterranean, they crossed the seas to the Nile Valley in the Middle East. Through contact with Egypt and Mesopotamia, they acquired ideas and technology in fields such as writing and architecture that they adapted to their own culture. The rulers of this trading empire lived in a vast palace at Nassus, K-N-O-S-S-O-S. It housed rooms for the royal family, banquet halls, and working areas for artisans. It also included religious shrines, areas dedicated to the honor of gods and goddesses. The walls of the palace at Knossos were covered with colorful frescoes, F-R-E-S-C-O-E-S, watercolor paintings done on wet plaster. These frescoes tell us much about Minoan society. Leaping dolphins reflect the importance of the sea to the Minoan people. Religious images indicate that the Minoans worship the bull as well as a mother goddess. Other frescoes show young men and women strolling through gardens or jumping through the horns of a charging bull. The paintings also suggest that women appeared freely in public and may have enjoyed more rights than women in most other ancient civilizations. By around... 1400 BC, Minoan civilization had vanished. Archaeologists are not sure of the reasons for its disappearance. A sudden volcanic eruption on a nearby island may have flamed raining death on Knossos. Or perhaps an earthquake may have destroyed the palace, followed by an immense wave that drowned the inhabitants of the island. However, it is certain that invaders played some role in the destruction of Minoan civilization. These intruders were the Mycenaeans, the first Greek-speaking people of whom we have a written record, spelled M-Y-C-E-N-A-E-A-N-S. Like the Aryans who spread across India, the Mycenaeans spoke an Indo-European language. They conquered the Greek mainland before overrunning the island of Crete. Mycenaean civilization dominated the Aegean world from about 1400 BC to 1200 BC. Like the Minoans, the Mycenaeans were sea traders. They reached out beyond the Aegean to Sicily, Italy, Egypt, and Mesopotamia. The Mycenaeans learned many skills from the Minoans, including the art of writing. They, too, absorbed Egyptian and Mesopotamian culture, customs, many of which they passed on to later Greeks. The Mycenaeans lived in separate city-states on the mainland. In each, a warrior king built a thick-walled fortress for which he ruled the surrounding villages. Wealthy rulers amassed treasure, including fine gold ornaments that archaeologists have unearthed from their tombs. The Mycenaeans are best remembered for their part in the Trojan War, which took around 
1250 BC. The conflict may have had its origins in economic rivalry between Mycenae and Troy, a rich trading city in present-day Turkey that controlled the vital straits, or narrow water passages connected the Mediterranean and Black Seas. In Greek legend, however, the war had a more romantic cause. When the Trojan prince Paris kidnaps Helen, the beautiful wife of a Greek king, the Mycenaeans sail to Troy to rescue her. For the next ten years, the two sides battle until the Greeks finally seize Troy and burn the city to the ground. For centuries, most people regarded the Trojan War as pure legend. Then, in the 1870s, a wealthy German businessman, Heinrich Schleimann, S-C-H-L-I-E-M-A-N-N, set out to prove that the legend was rooted in fact. As Schleimann excavated the site, of ancient Troy, he found evidence of fire and war dating to about 1250 BC. Though most of the details remained lost in legend, modern scholars now agree that the Trojan War was an actual event. Not long after their victory over Troy, the Mycenaeans themselves came under attack from sea raiders and also from other Greek-speaking people, the Dorians, D-O-R-I-A-N-S, invading from the north. As Mycenaean power faded, their people abandoned the cities and trade declined. People forgot many skills, including the art of writing. From the end of the Mycenaean civilization in about 1100 BC until about 900 BC, Greek civilization seemed to step backward. Much of what we know about the Trojan War and life during this period comes from two great epic poems, the Iliad, spelled I-L-I-A-D, and the Odyssey, spelled O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. These epics may have been the work of many people, but they are credited to the poet Homer, who probably lived around 750 BC. According to tradition, Homer was a blind poet who wandered from village to village, singing of heroic deeds. Like the great Indian epics, Homer's tales were passed on orally for generations before they were finally written down. The Iliad, full, full as it is of gods, goddesses, and even a talking horse, is our chief source of information about the Trojan War. At the start of the poem, Achilles, spelled A-C-H-I-L-L-E-S, the mightiest Greek warrior, has withdrawn from battle because he has been unfairly treated and insulted by his commander. The war soon turns against the Greeks, but Achilles stubbornly refuses to listen to pleas that he rejoins the fighting. Only after his best friend is killed does Achilles return to battle. The Odyssey tells of the many struggles of the Greek hero Odysseus on his return home to his faithful wife Penelope after the fall of Troy. On his long voyage, Odysseus encounters a sea monster, a race of one-eyed giants, and a beautiful sorceress who turns men into swine. The Iliad and the Odyssey reveal much about the values of the ancient Greeks. The heroes display honor, courage, and eloquence, as well as when Achilles rallies his troops. Quote, Every man make up his mind to fight and move on to his enemy. Strong as I am, it's hard for me to face so many men and fight with all at once, and yet I will. End quote. For almost 3,000 years, the epics of Homer have inspired European writers and artists. After the Dorian invasions, the land of Greece passed several centuries in obscurity. The people lived in small, isolated villages and had few contacts with the outside world. Over time, they made the stories about Crete and Mycenae a part of their heritage, and they built upon the legacy of those and other civilizations to forge a new Greek civilization. When it emerged, this Greek civilization would not only dominate the region, it would ultimately extend the influence of Greek culture over most of the Western world. 
Chapter 4, Section 2, The Rise of Greek City-States The Mediterranean and Aegean seas were as central to the development of Greek civilization as the Nile was to the Egyptians. The ancient Greeks absorbed many ideas and beliefs from the older civilizations of Mesopotamia and Egypt. At the same time, they developed their own unique ways. In particular, the Greeks developed new ideas about how best to govern each individual Greek polis, or city-state, spelled P-O-L-I-S. The early civilizations rose in fertile river valleys, as we have discussed in previous lectures. There, strong rulers organized irrigation works that helped farmers produce food surpluses needed to support large cities. A very different set of geographic conditions influenced the rise of Greek civilization, however. Greece is a part of the Balkan Peninsula, spelled B-A-L-K-A-N, which extends southward into the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Mountains divide the peninsula into isolated valleys. Beyond the rugged coast, hundreds of rocky islands spread toward the horizon. The Greeks who farmed the valleys or settled on the scattered islands did not create a large empire such as that of the Egyptians or Persians. Instead, they built many small city-states, cut off from one another by mountains or water. Each included a city and its surrounding countryside. Greeks fiercely defended the independence of their small city-states, and endless rivalry frequently led to war. While mountains divided Greeks from one another, the seas provided a vital link to the world outside. With its hundreds of bays, the Greek coastline offered safe harbor harbors for ships. The Greeks became skilled warriors and carried cargoes of olive oil, wine, and marble to parts throughout the eastern Mediterranean. They returned not only with grains and metals, but also with ideas, which they adapted to their own needs. For example, the Greeks adapted the Phoenician alphabet to meet their needs. The resulting alphabet, in turn, became the basis for all later Western alphabets. By 750 BC, rapid population growth forced many Greeks to leave their own overcrowded valleys. With fertile land limited, the Greeks expanded overseas. Gradually, a scattering of Greek colonies took root all around the Mediterranean from Spain to Egypt. Wherever they traveled, Greek settlers and traders carried their ideas and culture. As their world expanded after 750 BC, the Greeks evolved the unique version of the city-state, which they called the polis. The polis was made up of a major city or town and its surrounding countryside. Typically, the city itself was built on two levels. On the top of a hill stood the Acropolis, spelled A-C-R-O-P-O-L-I-S, or High City, with its great marble temples dedicated to different gods and goddesses. On flatter ground below lay the walled main city with its marketplace, theater, public buildings, and homes. The population of each city-state was fairly small, which helped the citizens, or free residents, share a sense of responsibility for its triumphs and defeats. In the warm climate of Greece, free men spent much of their time outdoors in the marketplace, or agora, spelled A-G-O-R-A, debating issues that affected their lives. The whole community joined in festival, honoring the city's special god or goddesses. The rights of citizens were unequal, however, and male landowners held all of the political power. Between 750 BC and 500 BC, different forms of government evolved in Greece. At first, the rulers of the polis, or city, like those in the River Valley empires, was a king. A government in which a hereditary ruler exercises central power is called a monarchy. 
Slowly, however, power shifted to a class of noble landowners. Because only they could afford bronze weapons and chariots, these nobles were also the military defenders of the city-states. At first, these landowners defended the king. In time, however, they won power for themselves. The result was an aristocracy, or rule by a hereditary land-owning elite. This is spelled A-R-I-S-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y. As trade expanded, a new middle class of wealthy merchants, farmers, and artisans emerged in some cities. They challenged the land-owning nobles for power and came to dominate some city-states. The result was a form of government called an oligarchy, spelled O-L-I-G-A-R-C-H-Y. In an oligarchy, power is in the hands of a small, wealthy elite. Changes in military technology increased the power of the middle class. By about 650 BC, iron weapons replaced bronze ones. Since iron was cheaper, ordinary citizens could afford iron helmets, shields, and swords. Meanwhile, a new method of fighting emerged, the phalanx, P-H-A-L-A-N-X, a massive tactical formation of heavily armed foot soldiers. It required long hours of drill to master. Shared training created a strong sense of unity among the citizens' soldiers. By putting the defense of the city-state in the hands of ordinary citizens, the phalanx reduced class differences. The new type of warfare, however, led to the two most influential city-states, Athens and Sparta, to develop very different ways of life. While Sparta stressed military virtues and stern discipline, Athens glorified the individual and extended political rights to more citizens. Sparta, a warrior society. Dorian invaders from the north conquered Laconia, spelled L-A-C-O-N-I-A, in the southern part of Peloponnesus, P-E-L-O-P-O-N-N-E-S-U-S. The Dorians settled here and built the city-state of Sparta. The invaders turned the conquered people into state-owned slaves, called helots, and made them work the land. Because the helots greatly outnumbered their rulers, the Spartans set up a brutal system of strict control. The Spartan government included two kings and a council of elders who advised the monarchs. An assembly made up of all citizens approved major decisions. Citizens were male, native-born Spartans over the age of 30. The assembly also elected five ephors, spelled E-P-H-O-R-S, or officials, who ran day-to-day affairs. From childhood, a Spartan prepared to be part of a military state. Officials examined every newborn, and sickly children were abandoned to die. Spartans wanted future soldiers and the future mothers of soldiers to be healthy. At the age of seven, boys began training for a lifetime in the military. They moved into barracks, where they were toughened by a coarse diet, hard exercise, and rigid discipline. This strict and harsh discipline made Spartan youths excellent soldiers. To develop cunning and supplement their diet, boys were even encouraged to steal food. If caught, though, they were beaten severely. At the age of 20, a man could marry, but he continued to live in the barracks for another 10 years and to eat there for another 40 years. At the age of 30, after further training, he took his place in the assembly. Girls, too, had a rigorous upbringing. As part of a warrior society, they were expected to produce healthy sons for the army. They, therefore, were required to exercise and strengthen their bodies. Like other Greek women, Spartan women had to obey their fathers or husbands. Yet, under Spartan law, they had the right to inherit property. Because men were occupied with war, some women took on responsibilities, such as running the family's estate. 
The Spartans isolated themselves from other Greeks. They looked down on trade and wealth, forbade their own citizens to travel, and had little use for new ideas or the arts. While other Greeks admired the Spartans' military skills, no other city-state imitated their vigorous way of life. Quote, Spartans are willing to die for their city, some suggested, because they have no reason to live. End quote. Athens was located in Attica, just north of Peloponnesus. As in many Greek city-states, Athenian government evolved from a monarchy into an aristocracy. By 700 BC, landowners held power. They chose the chief officials, judged major court cases, and dominated the assembly. Under the aristocracy, Athenian wealth and power grew, yet discontent spread among ordinary people. Merchants and soldiers resented the power of the nobles. They argued about their service to Athens entitled them more to rights. Foreign artisans, who produced many of the goods that Athens traded abroad, were resentful that foreigners were barred from becoming citizens. Farmers, too, demanded change. During hard times, many farmers were forced to sell their land to nobles. A growing number even sold themselves and their families into slavery to pay their debts. As discontent spread, Athens moved slowly toward democracy, or government by the people. As we will hear about later, they each had a different meaning for the ancient Greeks than it has for us today. Solon, a wise and trusted leader, was appointed archon, spelled A-R-C-H-O-N, or chief official, in 594 BC. Athenians gave Solon a free hand to make needed reforms. He outlawed debt slavery and freed those who had already been sold into slavery for debt. He opened high offices to more citizens, granted citizenships to some foreigners, and gave the Athenian assembly more say in important decisions. Solon introduced economic reforms as well. He encouraged the export of wine and olive oil. This policy helped merchants and farmers by increasing demand for their products. Despite Solon's reforms, citizenship remained limited, and many positions were widely open to the wealthy only. Continued and widespread resentment led to a rise of tyrants, or people who gained power by force. Tyrants often won support from the merchant class and the poor by imposing reforms to help these groups. Although Greek tyrants often governed well, the word tyrant has come to mean a vicious and brutal ruler. The Athenian tyrant uh, Pisistrus, spelled P-I-S-I-S, T-R-A-T-U-S, seized power in 546 BC. He helped farmers by giving them loans and land taken from nobles. New building projects gave jobs to the poor. By giving poor citizens a greater voice, he further weakened the aristocracy. By 507 BC, another reformer, Cleithosthenes, spelled C-L-E-I-S-T-H-E-N-E-S, brought in the role of ordinary citizens in government. He set up the Council of 500, whose members were chosen by lot from among all citizens over the age of 30. The council prepared laws considered by the assembly and supervised the day-to-day work of government. Cleisthenes made the assembly a genuine legislature or lawmaking body that debated laws before deciding to approve or reject them. All male citizens were members of the assembly and were expected to participate. By modern standards, Athenian democracy was quite limited. Only citizens were participating in government, and citizenship was restricted to land-owning men. 
Women were excluded along with merchants and people whose parents were not citizens. So were tens and thousands of Athenian slaves who lacked political rights as well, as personal freedom. Although it was their labor that gave citizens the time to participate in government. Still, Athens gave more people a say in decision-making than any other ancient civilization. As in other Greek city-states, women in Athens had no share in political life. According to Aristotle, quote, The man is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as an older person is superior to a younger, more immature person, end quote. Although some men disagreed, most Greeks accepted the view that women must be guided by men. Women played their most significant public role in religion. Their participation in sacred possessions and ceremony was considered essential for the city's well-being. In well-to-do Athenian homes, women managed the entire household. They spun and wove, cared for their children, and prepared food, but lived a secluded existence and were rarely seen in public. Their slaves or children were sent to buy food and to fetch water from the public well. Poorer women worked outside the home, tending sheep or working as spinners, weavers, or potters. Unlike girls, who received little or no formal education, boys attended school if their families could afford it. Besides learning to read and write, they studied music, memorized poetry, and studied public speaking because, as citizens in a democracy, they would have to voice their views. Although they received military training and participated in athletic contests, unlike Sparta, which put military training above all else, Athens encouraged young men to explore many areas of knowledge. Strong local identification, an independent spirit, and economic rivalry led to fight among the Greek city-states. Despite these divisions, Greeks shared a common culture. They spoke the same language, honored the same ancient heroes, participated in common festivals, and prayed to the same gods. Like most other ancient people, the Greeks were polytheistic, believing in more than one deity. According to the myths, or traditional stories that explain the ways of nature or the gods, the gods lived on Mount Olympus in northern Greece. In Greek myths, the most powerful Olympian was Zeus, spelled Z-E-U-S, who presided over the affairs of gods and humans. His children included Ares, A-R-E-S, god of war, and Aphrodite, spelled A-P-H-R-O-D-I-T-E, goddess of love. His daughter, Athena, goddess of wisdom, gave her name to Athens. Greeks honored their gods with temples and festivals, which included processions, sacrifices, feasts, plays, choral singing, and athletic competitions. Greeks consulted oracles, who were priests or priestesses, through whom the gods were taught to speak. However, some Greek thinkers came to believe that the universe was re uh, regulated not by the gods, but by natural laws. As trading colonies expanded, the Greeks came in contact with people from foreign lands with different languages and customs. Greeks called them barbaro, or people who did not speak Greek and felt superior to them, spelled B-A-R-B-A-R-O-I. The English word for barbarian comes from this Greek term. These barbarians even included the Phoenician and Egyptians, for whom the Greeks borrowed important ideas and inventions. This sense of uniqueness and superiority would help the Greeks when they were threatened by the mightiest power in the Mediterranean world, the Persian Empire. Chapter 4, Section 3, Conflict in the Greek World Like the Athenian generals divided on whether or not to go into battle, the Greek city-states were often at odds with one another. Yet, when the Persians threatened them, the Greeks briefly put their, di their differences aside and defended their freedom. 
The Persians conquered a huge empire stretching from Asia Minor to the border of India. Their subjects included the Greek city-states of Iona, and Ionia, spelled I-O-N-I-A in Asia Minor. Though under Persian rule, these Ionian city-states were largely self-governing. Still, they resented their situation. In 499 BC, Ionian Greeks rebe rebelled, rebelled against Persian rule. Athenians sent ships to help them. As the historian Herodotus wrote some years later, quote, these ships were the beginning of mischief both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, end quote. The Persians soon crushed the rebel cities. However, Darius I was furious at the role Athens played in the uprising. In time, Darius sent a huge force across the Aegean to punish Athens for its interference. The mighty Persian army landed near Marathon, a plain north of Athens, in 490 BC. The Athenians asked for help from neighboring Greek city-states, but received little support. The Persians greatly outnumbered Athenian forces, yet the invaders were amazed to see, quote, a mere handful of men coming on at a run without either horsemen or archers, end quote. The Persians responded with a rain of arrows, but the Greeks rushed onward. They broke through the Persian line and engaged in fierce hand-to-hand -hand combat. Overwhelmed by the fury of the assault, the Persians hastily retreated to their ships. The Athenians celebrated their triumph. Still, the Athenian leader, Themistocles, spelled T-H-E-M-I-S-T-O-C-L-E-S, -E -E knew the victory at Marathon had bought only a temporary lull in the fighting. He urged Athenians to build a fleet of warships and prepare other defenses. Darius died before he could mass his troops for another attack. But in 480 BC, his son, Xerxes, spelled X-E-R-X-E-S, sent a much larger force to conquer Greece. By this time, Athens had persuaded Sparta and other city-states to join in the fight against Persia. Once again, the Persians landed in northern Greece. A small Spartan force guarded the narrow mountain pass at Thermopylae, spelled T-H-E-R-M-O-P-Y-L-A-E. Led by the great warrior king Leonidas, spelled L-E-O-N-I-D-A-S, the Spartans held out heroically against the enormous Persian force, but were defeated in the end. The Persians marched south and burned Athens. The city was empty, however. The Athenians had already withdrawn to safety. The Greeks now put their faith in the fleet of ships that Them uh, Themistocles had urged them to build, spelled T-H-E-M-I-S-T-O-C-L-E-S. -E -E the Athenians lured the Persian navy into the narrow strait of Salamis, spelled S-A-L-A-M-I-S. -A -A then, Athenian warships, powered by rowers, drove into the Persian boats with underwatering battering rams. On the shore, Xerxes washed helplessly as his mighty fleet sank. The next year, the Greeks defeated the Persians on land in Asia Minor. This victory marked the end of the Persian invasions. In a brief moment of unity, Greek city-states had saved themselves from the Persian threat. Victory in the Persian Wars increased the Greeks' sense of their own uniqueness. The gods, they felt, had protected their superior form of government, the city-state, against invaders from Asia. Athens emerged from the war as the most powerful city-state in Greece. To continue to defend against Persia, it organized with other Greek city-states an alliance or a formal agreement between two or more nations or powers to cooperate and come to another's defense. Modern scholars call this alliance the Delian League, spelled D-E-L-I-A-N after Delos, the location where the League held meetings. From the start, Athens dominated the Delian League. 
It slowly used its position of leadership to create an Athenian empire. It moved the League's treasury from the island of Delos to Athens, using money contributed by other city-states to rebuild its own city. When its allies protested and tried to withdraw from the League, Athens used force to make them remain. Yet, while Athens was enforcing its will abroad, Athenian leaders were championing political freedom at home. The years after the Persian Wars, from 460 BC to 429 BC, were a golden age for Athens under the able statesman Pericles, spelled P-E-R-I-C-L-E-S. Because of his wise and skillful leadership, the economy thrived and the government became more democratic. Periclean Athens was a direct democracy. Under this system, citizens take part directly in the day-to-day affairs of government. By contrast, in most democratic countries today, citizens participate in government indirectly through elected representatives. By the time of Pericles, the Athenian assembly met several times a month. A council of 500, selected by lot, conducted daily government business. Pericles believed that all citizens, regardless of wealth or social class, should take part in government. Athens, therefore, began to pay a stipend, or fixed salary, to men who participated in the assembly and its governing council. This reform enabled poor men to serve in government. In addition, Athenians also served on juries. A jury is a panel of citizens who have the authority to make the final judgment in a trial. Unlike the modern American trial jury, which is usually made up of 12 members, an Athenian jury might include hundreds or even thousands of jurors. Citizens over 30 years of age were chosen by lot to serve on the jury for a year. Athenian citizens could also vote to banish or send away a public figure whom they saw as a threat to their democracy. This process was called ostracism, spelled O-S-T-R-A-C-I-S-M. The person with the largest number of votes cast against him was ostracized, meaning that the individual would have to live outside the city, usually for a period of 10 years. Athens prospered during the age of Pericles. With the empire's riches, Pericles directed the rebuilding of the Acropolis, which the Persians had destroyed. With the help of the educated foreign-born woman named Aspasia, spelled A-S-P-A, S-I-A, Pericles turned Athens into the cultural center of Greece. They encouraged the arts through public festivals, dramatic competitions, and building programs. Such building projects increased Athenians' prosperity by creating jobs for artisans and workers. Many Greeks outside Athens resented Athenian domination. Before long, the Greeks' world would split into rival camps. To counter the Delian League, Sparta and other enemies of Athens formed the Peloponnesian League, spelled P-E-L-O-P-O-N-N-E-S-I-A-N. In 431 BC, warfare broke out between Athens and Sparta. This conflict, which became known as the Peloponnesian War, soon engulfed all of Greece. The fight would last for 27 years. Despite its riches and powerful navy, Athens faced a serious geographic disadvantage. Because Sparta was inland, Athens could not use its navy to attack. Sparta's powerful army, however, had only to march north to attack Athens. When the Spartan troops came near, Pericles allowed people from the countryside to move inside the city walls. The overcrowded conditions led to a terrible plague that killed many Athenians, including Pericles himself. As the war dragged on, each side committed savage acts against the other. Sparta even allied itself with Persia, the longtime enemy of the Greeks. 
Finally, in 404 BC, with the help of the Persian navy, the Spartans captured Athens. The victors stripped the Athenians of their fleet and empire. However, Sparta rejected calls from its allies to destroy Athens. The Peloponnesian War ended Athenian domination of the Greek world. The Athenian economy eventually revived, and Athens remained the cultural center of Greece. However, its spirit and vitality declined. Meanwhile, as Greeks battled among themselves, a new power rose in Macedonia, a kingdom to the north of Greece. By 359 BC, its ambitious ruler stood poised to conquer the quarrelsome Greek city-states.